Packers Daily with Jason Mertides. And welcome to your Wednesday, November 11th edition of Flyers Daily with Jason Martinez. Coming up in this episode, exclusive conversation with former first-round pick and Flyers goaltender, Arizona Coyotes goaltender, San Jose Sharks goaltender, I could go on, uh, but we won't. Brian Boucher will join us on this episode of Flyers Daily. We'll talk about uh, life after the bubble, or bubbles in his case, because he was in Toronto and Edmonton, uh, how he would be preparing as an NHL goaltender if he were in this circumstance of a pandemic, not exactly knowing when he's going to be back on the ice and when a season will begin. Uh, so we'll talk to Bush about that, about goaltending in the NHL, how it's changed, how goaltenders change in their preparation for seasons as they get older as well. So a lot to get into with Brian Boucher. And also want to let you know that coming up on Friday's episode, I'm really excited about this as well. We have former Flyer and current head coach of the Arizona Coyotes, Rick Tockett. He was just recently inducted, uh, virtually at least, uh, in the Philadelphia Sports Hall of Fame. Uh, so we'll talk to Rick Tockett about his years in Philadelphia, some great years in Philadelphia, including that 1987 run to the finals. Uh, we'll talk to talk about that, about coaching now, and about how he's handling the pandemic and much more. So very look, much looking forward uh, to having Rick Tockett on Flyers Daily coming up on Friday's episode. But without further ado, let's go to our feature guest in this episode, it's former Flyers goaltender Brian Boucher, and here's my conversation with Bush. Uh, joining us once again on Flyers Daily, former Flyers and NHL goaltender, now current, the between the benches man, the man behind the glass. He's not behind the glass anymore. Brian Boucher joins us. Bush, how you doing? Doing good, Jason. How you doing? H- how was, um, for you, you, you were in the bubble as long as any player. H- how was it kind of assimilating back into society after – you know, you, you did Toronto and you did Edmonton. You were there for the for the full full Monty. How was it reassimilating? Yeah, uh, it's almost like you got to come back down to sea level, right? After uh, being in altitude after all that time, uh, it was it was. I look, it's been good. I mean, it was the seventy days that I was away uh, between Toronto and Edmonton. Uh, I thought it was, I thought it was fun. I know maybe the players had a different point of view, but I felt like it was uh, it was all hockey all day long. It felt like March Madness uh, the first month uh, with games at all hours of the day. Uh, the NHL provided a safe environment. Everything to me, the, the from accommodations to the food to the safety protocols to the quality of, of hockey that we saw, I feel like was uh, was top notch. And 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 I have I have zero complaints, and I really mean that. I'm not just I'm not walking party lines here. I, I really felt like it was a a real nice change of pace from what 2020 has been as far as getting in an environment where it was all about hockey and uh, it was a lot of fun. And now coming out of it, uh, readjusting to, to home life, uh, it's been good. Um, my, you know, my wife and I are, you know, preparing to, uh, to, to move houses. So we, you know, a lot of work being done on my end, but, uh, feels good to be home. Feels good to, to know that we, you know, the NHL and, and everybody pulled off uh, what a lot of people thought was going to be impossible, and that was to award a Stanley Cup winner. And, and that, that you know, that felt gratifying in the end, knowing that you were a part of that, and that uh, the NHL saw it through. And and now you can kind of you know decompress and, and hopefully get ready for a new season starting sometime, hopefully in January. Yeah, and that bring that's one of the reasons why I wanted to bring you on because you played this game for a long time at the NHL level. And, and the preparation that goes into that, uh, the NBA announced in just the past couple of days that 
Uh, it looks like they're going to start on December 22nd, and they're going to actually trump the NHL with the shortest offseason of any of the major pro sports. And Bill Daly, the uh, uh, deputy commissioner of the NHL, also said they're still targeting January 1st. Maybe January 15th is is more logical just from a starting training camp standpoint. You don't want players to leave for the holiday and then return, uh, given what's going on. Uh, but when when you look at that, that's roughly two months away. So as players prepare, and specifically goaltenders, would you be on the ice right now kind of with that unknown element of exactly when we're starting? Would you have gotten your skates back on and on the ice and seeing shots and going through movements at this point? Uh, I mean, I think when I when I played and trained early on in my career, it was a lot different than what it is or what it was towards the end of my career. So, you know, I'm looking at, a, a, you know, for myself, a player that spent what I feel is two different generations. Um, but the, the latter part of my career, yeah, I would have been on the ice and I would be on the ice right now if I was a goaltender. And I'm not saying you're out there uh, necessarily you know, having scrimmages, but I would most definitely be on the ice working with my goalie coach and goalie specific uh, drills to hammer down technique. Um, and, but also too, to, to remain, to remain uh, on ice condition with regards to, you know, goalie specific stuff, uh, your hips and groins and all that, you got to keep those muscles active. And the only way to do it is to, to be don't doing goaltender movements, whether it's, you know, your butterflies or, you know, you're stretching, et cetera. So, I mean, I think, uh, you know, for example, a guy like Carter Hart, um, I remember we, we were on the flight together from Toronto to Edmonton uh, when we were going to Edmonton to uh, get the last two rounds of the playoffs and he was flying home. He was on the NHL charter. And I asked him, I said, how much time do you plan to take off the ice? And he said, probably about a month. So that was, uh, you know, that would have been in late or early September. So he, you know, he probably was back on the ice uh, early October. And I'm sure he's on the ice, uh, I would say, at a minimum three days a week uh, working on on his game and working on his technique and, and staying sharp that way. I, I think it's important. And you think about some goaltenders that have been off for a long, long time since last March, uh, the type of work that they have to get in. I mean, it is an eternity. I mean, you're talking – it's going to be close to nine, 10 months since they last saw game action. And that can certainly affect your, your development. It can affect your sharpness. Uh, so it's, it's important that these goaltenders get on the ice and, and really push themselves um, at this time of year, ramping up. I, I think we don't know an exact time when the season will start, but we got a, enough of a general timeline that I think you can, you can map out your time accordingly, knowing that, uh, you know, maybe you don't need to be on the ice five days a week, but certainly at a minimum, I, I would want to be on the ice three days a week. But when, when you get back and you start looking at shots again, is one of the challenges, you know, depending where you are, finding NHL caliber players to shoot? <laughs> yeah, that does play a big role uh, in it. And, and, and I know that's why a lot of oftentimes when I was playing, I, I wanted to come back to Philadelphia in the off season. My, I'm from Rhode Island and I would spend, you know, my off season there uh, most of the time. But when it came time to getting back on the ice, I wanted to be back in Philadelphia just because I knew that there were other quality NHL uh, shooters there. And because the last thing you want to do is be in a place that is perhaps remote that you don't have the quality of shooter to, to be out there with you. Now, if you're doing goaltender drills and you're working with a goaltender coach, oftentimes those drills, are movement based 
with the ending being a shot or two or a sequence of shots. So maybe those shots aren't, it doesn't have to be NHL, but as long as it's, uh, it, it, it's high enough quality, could be junior, uh, could be college, it, it, that serves okay. But uh, for a goaltender, for me, I always felt like the, the better the shooter, the better it was for me and my timing. And especially when you get into working, you know, if you start scrimmaging and stuff like that, you want to be out there with guys that zip it the way an NHL player zips it because I think there can be some bad habits that form in scrimmages for goaltenders. And a lot of goaltenders do get frustrated in those settings, especially because the structure is not there. And uh, yeah. it can be, it can be, uh, it can be uh, maddening for a goaltender. But that's why a lot of guys, I think, stay away from that right now. I think they really just focus on goalie specific stuff so that they can make sure that their game is sharp when they, when they get back to their NHL cities. Is that as simple as getting themselves to a spot and uh, being square and under control? When you when you kind of allude to that, you know, kind of, it's not necessarily about the shot, but it's being in the right place. And eventually when you ramp up the shots and you get the NHL shots, you'll know that you're in the right spot no matter who's shooting before that. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I think it's, you know, a lot of it is your skating. And I think if you work, if you're working on movements, increased movements and, and, um, and, you know, there's all a variety of drills that you can do. I think the main, you know, focus of all that is making sure that, uh, you know, whatever the drill is, that you're arriving on time, making sure that your pushes are crisp, uh, all of that stuff, because that's, that's all the work that you do before the shot comes, right? If you're late getting to a spot, uh, especially Dang. if a play goes east west yeah i mean now you know you may make a terrific save while still in movement but oftentimes uh you won't have control of where the rebound goes so i think it's about getting there working on that type of stuff your speed and your movements making sure they're crisp and the shot is you know now secondary if you get a guy that you know you don't want a guy that goes out there and then shoots a you know, a real muffin, you know what I mean? Like a kid that, you know, might be 11 years old would put on you. He wants to put it with some zip because there's a certain timing that NHL goaltenders are, are accustomed to. Um, but uh, yeah, I think right now it's all about the movements uh, that, that, that matters most. And you can work on conditioning too, in that regard. I mean, how much movement, how much, you know, rest you have in between. It certainly can be, there can be a conditioning element to, to that type of uh, goaltender work. How important is it to to add those other elements on top of that technical work, Boosh, that um, where you, you add an angle of compete where you play it out with rebounds and those things to cover um, to, to make sure you kind of play it out and simulate a game, maybe not initially, but uh, work that in before you even get to scrimmages because you, you want to have those uh, elements of compete and, you know, some consequence to where you direct a rebound or how you control a rebound. Yeah, I think as this, as your off season goes on, you certainly want to get into some of that that competition. Uh, I think that's a good point. Uh, I think maybe early on it's about you know maybe working off some rust and and making sure that the hips, the groins, the back, uh, everything is you know functioning the way it should. That there's no tweaks. You don't want to get into it too quickly or or you know overload too much, especially as you get a little bit older. I think there's a you know a systematic approach to how you you know, treat your off season. And then once you feel good and comfortable, I think now you want to start ramping it up a little bit. And I think all goaltenders, you know, the, the, don't forget the main reason, and you know, this the, the main reason why guys become goaltenders is because they really enjoy uh, the competition that is involved. I mean, this is like, you know, the last line of defense, it, you know, all eyes are on you and it's all about competing. I mean, the, 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 the art of trying to keep the puck out of the net and the, 
the game that goes on inside your head with all that. That's that's what makes the goaltender tick. So it, most goaltenders will want to will want to get into some competition because at the end of the day, it truly is fun. That's why they play the position. Uh, but yeah, I think that's something that you ramp up for sure because it's fun, but also because it keeps those competitive juices flowing and. And uh, that's that's why guys are goaltenders in the National Hockey League because they're playing in the best league in the world because they are probably the most competitive guys on the ice. You know, it's funny. I always say that the goal t- if a goalie plays bad, there's no hiding. A winger can play bad in a game, and, and you can hide a little bit, right? If the goalie goes bad yeah. bad in a game, goes back into the room, and you just say to the you, they boys, look, I didn't give it to you tonight. You had no chance with what I brought to the table tonight. Uh, and that's just the way it is. But there's times when the goalie, the team can play bad and then the goalie can bail them out as well. Um, as, as far as pushing it and really kind of ramping up your intensity and those kind of things, um, were you one of those guys that uh, was fanatical in practice um, where, you know, we hear stories about guys like Dominic Hasek that would freak out if you shot a puck into his net when he wasn't looking because he didn't want anything to, to get by him at any way. And he would battle every drill, guys like Lundqvist as well. Uh, did you uh, kind of approach practice with that same mentality? That's not for everybody. Some people are just crazy, frankly. Uh, but h- how did you kind of approach that? I think I had certainly an element of that. There's no doubt. I think all goalies hate seeing pucks go in the net, whether it's when they're looking or not looking. Um, there were times I, I came, you know, there I had cycles in my career where some days I'd get, you know, some years I would get annoyed if pucks were in my net, uh, even to start a drill. I wanted a clean net to start the drill. I always yep. wanted the net to be clean. And then there were times where I kind of, I would be less, you know, obsessive about that and just try to be easygoing and say, it's okay. You know, if the guy wants to shoot it in from the side when I'm not looking, you know, let him have his fun too. Uh, because you can drive yourself nuts. And, and, and then, you know, it's the fun element between teammates, right? Goal teammates will know that the goalie is uh, nuts about if the puck is in the net, they, they will shoot pucks from the side just to see if they can get underneath your skin and see if it gets you wild. And then they'll all chuckle in the corner to see, you know, you losing your mind if the puck was shot in from the corner. Uh, I think the only thing that goalie, you know, the main thing about goaltenders in those scenarios is guys just goalies don't want to step on a puck um, that's laying in the crease that they don't think is there in the middle of a drill. Right. That's the one thing you just want to, you be careful of that stuff. But I got to be honest with you. um, I don't think these guys, the the shooters care all that much uh, or think much about that stuff. I think they're just trying to have fun out there. It's a long season. They fire pucks from everywhere, but yeah, I I certainly like to compete on every drill. Uh, I don't think I was uh, even close to what Dominic Hasek was. I mean, I've heard some practices uh, and some stories about Hasek where he would go a whole practice without giving up a goal or maybe giving up single digit goals and a whole practice. And, you know, 200 shots. I mean, that's face. crazy. <laughs> I was going to say 300 shots. I mean, it, yeah. and he would line up guys after practice and do shootouts and guys couldn't score on them. Uh, and it, it, to me, that is, that is remarkable uh, to hear. Um, and, you know, having played against them, it's, it's not surprising. I mean, this guy is one of the best goaltenders the NHL has ever seen. So uh, that's the beauty of goaltenders, right? They compete, they do it every single day. And it's not just what you see on game day or, you know, when the game and the puck drops at seven o'clock at night, it's the work that goes in on off days and the work that goes on in the morning before games. It makes these guys so terrific. Boosh, um, you look at Carter Hart and he's a, he's a goaltender that's very under control, especially for his age. Physically, he was, he was not wowed in the playoffs in the sense that he never looked overwhelmed by the moment playing against Carey Price to boot in that first round. 
Uh, I, I said at the time, it didn't look like his heart rate ever elevated over 70 beats per minute. Uh, when you saw what he did in the playoffs, what can he take from that playoff experience, you know, real first NHL playoff experience? And what is the effect that has on him in his preparation for this season? And what is the compounding effect of his, his kind of confidence going in now his third pro year? Yeah, I mean, he's had two uh, strong years now um, in the NHL, uh, and he should feel very good about that. He's laid a pretty nice foundation there, and, you know, year two uh, included winning a playoff series, and that to me is important. You want to get that out of the way as quickly as possible, knowing that you've been in the playoffs, knowing that you have had success in the playoffs. Uh, all of that is is very important for the confidence and the psyche of a young goaltender. Um and he should feel good about it. I mean, the, the only thing, you know, we talked, you know, you talked about the, the heart rate and didn't seem to be overwhelmed. The only thing that will be different for him going forward when we do resume um, normalcy in the National Hockey League is when you have to play in front of a full building. They, they, you know, to, to, you know, to not recognize the fact that there was no fans there and, and maybe the effect that that could have had uh, on, the, on a playoff uh, scenario, I think it wouldn't be fair. Like having no fans there, it was a different vibe in these playoffs. There's no doubt about it. And I'm not saying that if there was 18,000 fans, he would buckle under pressure. I'm just saying that this ex playoff experience was unique and he won't have that type of experience ever again. The next time he gets in the playoffs, there is going to be 18,000 fans screaming and cheering or booing, whether it's at home or on the road. So he's going to have to, he's going to have to have a new, that's a new experience. Right. But I don't, I don't think that that will overwhelm him in any sense because we've seen the way he's played in the regular season. I think, you know, what he accomplished this year was the fact that he, he beat a goaltender and carry price, which, you know, he's admitted uh, was his idol growing up. And that, that can be nerve wracking in and of itself. But the other thing too, is that you got to keep in mind, he beat a team in Montreal that beat the Pittsburgh Penguins who were favorites to beat Montreal, heavy favorites to beat, beat Montreal and didn't do it. And now the Flyers were coming in as heavy favorites to beat Montreal. And you have everything to lose in a scenario like that. Really, you have very little to gain, you know, like everybody's expecting uh, the Flyers to win. And they're, no matter the age of Kerry, uh, Carter Hart, they're expecting him to come out on top. And he did that. And I think that's important. And he should feel good about that. Uh, unfortunately, in the second round, it was a different story. The Islander team proved to be uh, a tough opponent for the Flyers and exposed, you know, some holes in the Flyers lineup. So, uh, but that's not all on Carter Hart to worry about. I think what for him, it's about I've had two good seasons in the National Hockey League. I've won my first playoff round. Am I satisfied? Absolutely not. Am I am I pleased with where I'm at? Yeah. I mean, can I build confidence from that? Absolutely. And I think you you build off of that. And he's he set a nice foundation here early on in his career. Boy, it's such a great point. Last thing for you, Boosh. Um, as a guy who came into this league as a young goaltender and eventually became uh, the veteran guy, uh, I look at a guy like Brian Elliott and what he can provide. First, uh, look at the the early part of your career. Did you have that a veteran guy to kind of show you the ropes the way Elliott is kind of helping Carter Hart in some ways? And then the converse of that would be, uh, being the veteran guy, helping a young goaltender. What, what's that relationship like uh, with, with, and how important is that relationship between the, the guy that your tandem made, if you will? I'll answer the second part first. Towards the end, I had Sergei Bobrovsky as a, uh, as a, as a partner here in Philadelphia and for one year. And I, I really enjoyed 
being with him and seeing how talented he was and, and trying to help him, even though there was a bit of a language barrier, I think that he worked so hard on, um, you know, to learn the English language that he, he understood a lot uh, that was being said. He just didn't have the confidence to really speak back then. But, uh, but also just to see, you know, how talented he was and how hard he worked in practice and, and just, you know, working in tandem and trying to give him nights off and feel like, you know, that he could, you know, uh, be, be rested and, and recharged to get back out there, but also to help the team. I think that's a, a, a role that I, that I really um, relish towards the end. And I really was so proud to, to be a flyer and wanted to, I wanted to stay here longer. It didn't work out that way, but uh, I really enjoyed uh, being the older guy, working with a young guy in that scenario. It just felt, it really felt gratifying. And I still feel like when I see him do well, there's a, there's a part of me that feels, you know, happy inside because he was a young kid that came over, was wide eyed and wasn't drafted, but was a great find by the Flyers. So I, I, I really felt good about it. And I think that's something that a lot of veteran goaltenders in the NHL, the ones that kind of transition on the back end to being a one B or two, that they have to really enjoy. I mean, you know, maybe some, in some cases it might be a choice of either doing that or, you know, being out of the league. So I think once you come to grips that you're no longer a one, uh, you know, that's a role that, you know, you should embrace. And if you can do it the right way, it can be, it can be awfully gratifying. Uh, and to the first part of your question, for me, it was John Van Beesburg when I came in as a rookie. Uh, Beezer was, um, by all accounts, still a number one guy. In my my opinion, I never thought for a million years, my rookie year, that I would be the guy playing in the playoffs. However, it worked out that way. And Beezer was terrific to me. And the way he handled that situation, which was a tough one, and that year had, had a lot of tough situations. You know, Roger Nielsen getting sick, uh, Eric Lindros being out for a long time. I and mean, we certainly had a lot of drama around around our team. And I think Beezer could have handled that situation a lot differently uh, if he chose to, yet he handled it like a true pro and really um, he was gracious with me and, and, and was awesome and it allowed me to do my job. The only thing I can say is that I wish that that tandem would have lasted two more years uh, in my career here in Philadelphia. I, I needed John Van Beesbrook. Uh, I didn't have him my second year. My second year, my, I came in and it, we had Maxime Ouellette and Roman Chekmanic that they had signed. And I felt the tremendous amount of pressure uh, that people were coming to steal my job uh, that second year. And, and really, from a personal standpoint, what I would have liked to have, not that they were thinking about Brian Boucher or anything like that, I would have liked to have the veteran in John Van Beesbrook to share the workload with, uh, to help me keep chipping away at experience. Um, and, and just build my career. It didn't work out that way. It ended up being a situation where they brought in a first-round pick in Maxime Ouellette, who was touted as being the next uh, great French-Canadian goaltender. It didn't work out that way for him, and really what ended up happening was the veteran Roman Czechmanic, who had uh, come over at 30, 31 years old, was the one that ended up stealing the show and playing in the All-Star game and having a fantastic year. So um, that was, the, that was the, the way it worked for me, and uh, I would say it didn't work for me. I mean, that was, you know, that was a, a big time step back in my career and something that I wish never happened, but it did. Uh, and then eventually I got traded to Phoenix and, you know, there was other situations there, but early on that first year of my career, the value of having John Van Beesbrook was so huge. And I can bet you that Carter Hart feels the same way about Brian Elliott. There is a healthy competition, but it's not overwhelming. It's not overbearing. Uh, everybody knows their roles. And uh, I think that, that that's really healthy. 
Yeah, it's a great point, too, because so many goalies have a hard time mentally going to that place of, okay, I'm not the man. You know, I'm not the future. Maybe I'm not even the present, but I got to still be competing and get, and give this team good starts and, and help the team in every way I can. Uh, a guy like Steve Mason didn't want to transition into that role. There's good money to be made if you can do that mentally and be good at it. Mason didn't want to do that, and he's out of the league as a result. Um, Boosh, great stuff. We can't wait to see you back on the NHL and NBC. Everybody's chomping at the bit to get the game back on the ice. I hope the move goes well, uh, smoothly, and um, and everything works out in that way and everything with your kids as well. Thanks for doing this, and uh, we always appreciate you joining us on Flyers Daily. Yeah, you bet, Jason. Always great to be with you. Thanks, man. Always great to talk to Boosh here on Flyers Daily. Tremendous insight, and uh, how about that? He's on the plane from Toronto to Edmonton with Carter Hart, who, of course, is from the Edmonton area, Sherwood Park, Alberta. And uh, Boosh uh, had a chance to catch up with him before uh, – Carter Hart had a chance to kind of decompress from the playoffs, his first NHL playoffs, uh, where he won a round of the playoffs and performed extremely well. But Bush made a great point. Um, one of the things that Carter Hart and his next appearance in the playoffs, hopefully at least, will be uh, having to deal with the crowd. A road crowd, sometimes a home crowd, can be tough on a goaltender or players as well. Uh, that's one thing that uh, playing in the bubbles without crowds uh, was an element that was missing. So Carter Hart's going to have some adjusting to do there as well. But thanks for Boosh uh, for checking in on this episode of Flyers Daily. Remember, coming up on Friday's episode, Rick Tockett will join us, the Arizona head coach, the Arizona Coyotes head coach, and former Philadelphia Flyer who was just inducted into the Philadelphia Sports Hall of Fame. But in the meantime, everybody, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you on Friday's episode of Flyers Daily. I know she said it's all right. But you can make it up next time I know she knows it's not right There ain't no use in lying